Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we're, you're a faithful God. You're a good God. You're a God whose mercy and grace are everlasting. Even as we just heard the song, what glorious truths they are. May we be encouraged by those truths. Even now as we come together as a church, as we open your word, may your spirit work through your word in each one of us. May you give me boldness and authority to proclaim your truth clearly. May you work this morning among us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Galatians 6, verses 1 to 10. Galatians 6, 1 to 10. My great-great-grandfather was well known around Bob Jones University for saying, do right till the stars fall. Do right. Do right till the stars fall. Do right. Always do right. Right? That's what that means. Always do right. Till the stars fall. Till the end. Till, till there's nothing else left. Do the right thing. So we come to Galatians 6 this morning. Paul says something similar. Down in verse uh, 10, as we'll get there eventually, he says, Let us do good to all, especially to the household of faith. Do good. Always do good. Only do good. If you've been following along in Galatians, if you've been paying attention whatsoever, it might sound strange in this point in Galatians for Paul to now say, all right, now do good. If you think about it, if you've been following the arguments of Galatians, that's pretty much exactly opposite what, what Paul's been saying. He's been saying it's not about your actions. It's not about what you do. It's about what God has done for you in Christ. It's about faith. It's about the grace of God, not your works. So it might seem strange as we come to Galatians 6 as Paul is winding down. He's coming to application and he's saying, do good. Now it is about your works. Now do good. But if you understand the flow of the book of Galatians, you understand what Paul is saying is not do good so you can please God. Do good so you can earn righteousness, so you can earn God's favor. That's not what he's saying. Just a few verses earlier. In Galatians 5, verses 1 to 6, we see that as, as believers in Christ, we're motivated not by law, not by, 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 by fear of God's punishment, by law, but by love. We're motivated in response to what God has done for us in Christ. That is what motivates us. We come to Galatians 5, 16 to 26, two weeks ago. Not only are we, are we motivated by something new, we're motivated by love, but God has equipped us. He's given us His Spirit. We're called to, to walk in that Spirit. And so if you're following the book of Galatians, actually when Paul comes to this section, he says now, do good. It makes sense in the flow of the book. Do good. Because you've been giving a new reason to do good. 
You've been equipped with the Spirit to do good. Now go and do good. And that's exactly what it is. As we come to this passage this morning, Galatians 6, 1 to 10, we're coming to application. Galatians 6, verses 1, verses, uh, 1 to 10 is Galatians 5, 22 to 26 in practical life. This is what the fruit of the Spirit looks like practically in your life, in your relationships. In fact, as we work our way through these 10 verses, you'll notice many familiar words from the passage just previous. You'll notice many of the fruit of the Spirit. You'll see gentleness. Uh, you'll see um, love, faithfulness, goodness. They're all in here, and you'll, you'll notice that. So join me this morning, Galatians 6, verses 1 to 10. Galatians 6, 1 to 10. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let, let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season... We shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith. Do good. This morning, as we work our way through these ten verses through this passage, we'll see our responsibility in the Spirit to look after others, then our responsibility to look after ourselves, finally our responsibility to look to the future. Look to what is coming, to what God is doing, what God has promised. First thing we see this morning is our responsibility to others. Look after others, verses 1 to 2. Brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, the word overtaken is the idea of, of caught or trapped. It may have the idea of, of I've, I've, I've walked in and I've caught him in the middle of this sin, of this trespass. But it can also carry the idea of someone who, who is addicted. They're, they are trapped in this sin. They can't get out. They are overtaken. It's either one of those. If someone is, is caught or trapped, and any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore him. In verse 1, we see the issue. Someone is, is, is overtaken, they're trapped, they're caught in this sin. And so we see that in the next few phrases, what to do and how to do it. Someone's caught in this sin, what do you do and how do you do it? 
First, what you do. If a man is overtaking any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore him. You who are spiritual, restore him. There's, there's three key words in there. You, spiritual, restore. You. It's your responsibility. If a man is overtaking a trespass, you restore him. I think often we're tempted to, well, this is above me. I'll take this to pastor. I'll take this to my deacon. It's not what the passage says. It doesn't say if someone's overtaking a trespass, then you take it to your pastor and he will restore him. It says you. It's your responsibility. You may say, well, but look at what the rest of the passage says. You who are spiritual. There's someone who's more spiritual than me, so I'm going to go to them. The idea of spiritual there is those who are walking in the Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Whose responsibility is it to walk in the Spirit? To bear the fruit of the Spirit, as we just saw in the last passage. Whose responsibility is that? It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. That's all of our responsibilities. And so this passage is not saying, go find someone more spiritually mature than you. You who are spiritual, you who are walking in the Spirit, who are growing, it's very broad. You who are spiritual. There's not some, some line of, okay, I've reached this level of sanctification, so now I am qualified to restore someone. No, it's you who are spiritual, you who are walking in the Spirit. You may think, well, I, I don't feel equipped to do that. I, I'm trying to walk in the Spirit. I'm spending time in the Word of God. I'm praying. I'm trying to serve. I'm trying to grow. I'm walking in the Spirit, but, but I don't feel qualified to, to handle this. And to that, I would remind you that it's not you who restores this person. It's not your truth, but truth is truth regardless of who speaks it. Truth doesn't change because you don't feel qualified. You see, that's your authority. In restoring this person, your authority is the Word of God. It's not how clever you are. It's not your, your plan to address this. That's not what fixes the problem. Your authority is the Word of God. And therefore, it is you who are spiritual. It is your responsibility. It is my responsibility. It is our responsibility. So don't look at this passage and see this phrase, you who are spiritual, and think of that as an excuse. There's someone more spiritual. That's not an excuse. That's a call to you. You be walking in the Spirit so that you can do this. another word there, the word restore. You who are spiritual, restore. See, that's the goal of this process. It's restoration. Someone who is caught in a sin and, and now it's fallen on me and it's my responsibility to, to go to them, to care for them, to, to bear this burden with them, to restore them. It's my responsibility to restore them. It's not my responsibility to punish them. It's not my responsibility to tear them down so I can build myself up. It's my responsibility to restore them. That word restore 
means to mend. To take something that is broken and to fix it. It's used sometimes of setting a broken bone. If you've ever broken a bone and you've had to have it set, it's not an easy process. It can be painful. But it's good. It's necessary. It's healing. And that's this word. It may not always be easy. This person may not want to hear it, and you probably don't want to say it because it's really awkward. But you who are spiritual, restore them. It might be painful, it might be difficult, but it's necessary, it's healing. See this process kind of more fleshed out in Matthew 18. I invite you to turn over there with me, Matthew 18. You may be familiar with this passage. This passage of church deals with church discipline. In reality, I wish we had a better term to, to discuss this in because discipline is not the goal here. I think that a lot of times that's where we get off as we discuss church discipline when really the goal should be church restoration. That's the goal here. You who are spiritual, restore. Now you who are spiritual, discipline this person. You're trying to restore them. We see the process here starting in verse 15 to 20. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go to him. Tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained a brother. That's the goal there, notice. The goal is not to punish him. It's not to drag him down. It's not to, to you idiot. The goal is to gain a brother. The goal is to restore him. Look at the next verse, verse 16. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two others that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. There's wisdom in this to protect yourself, but also the goal is continuing to go forward to still restore this one. This is still the goal. You're protecting yourself by taking two or three others, but you're also bringing it to his attention. Look, this isn't just my opinion. Others see this. This needs to be addressed. We care about you. We love you. If he refuses to, tell, to, to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. If he refuses to hear even the church, treat him as an unbeliever. Again, the goal here is not to punish him. The goal here is to restore him. It's for him to see what you are doing is outside of what God expects, what God calls us to. You are not acting like a believer, so we're not going to treat you like a believer. But we want you. We want you to be restored even still. We love you. That's the goal here. Notice also, I think it's important to, to point out, if the goal is to restore, then we must go through these processes carefully. This is not something that happens in a week. You go on Monday to him, he doesn't listen. You go on Tuesday with two others, he doesn't listen. By Wednesday, he's going to the church. 
That's not the process that's laid out here. You might go to him multiple times yourself, pleading with him. Let's do a Bible study. Let's work through this. I want to understand what, what you're thinking. Let's, let's get to the bottom of this together. And then if it becomes clear at that point that he won't hear you, then you take others. And then if that comes at that point after, after pleading with him, then, then you go to the church. This might be a month-long process, several months-long process. But the goal throughout the entire thing is restoration. Go back with me to Galatians 6. So that's the goal. Restoration. You who are spiritual, restore such a one. That's what to do. That's your responsibility. But then how to do it. This is, this is why I say that it's a, it's a process. It's not necessarily Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Because look at this next word. How do you do this? In a spirit of gentleness. In a spirit of gentleness. Gently. Gently. You come alongside them. You love them. You care for them. And you point them to the truth. It's not you who's going to change this person's mind. It's the word of God. It's the spirit within them. Gently. That's important because how you approach a situation is often just as important, if not more important, than the solution that you bring to it. You see, if I come to a, a situation where, where someone has sinned and, and, and I, I want to restore them, that's the goal, I love them, I care for them, and yet I come in like a bull in a china shop, you idiot, this, 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 are they going to want to listen to me? No. And I could, have the, I could have the greatest plan of restoration ever. I could have it down to a science, and yet if I don't approach them right, gently, in love, they're not going to hear me. So you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. In a spirit of, of humility, of meekness. What do you do? You restore him. How? Gently. And secondly, mindfully. Considering. Considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Considering yourself. I think that that, that line is in there for, for protection. Protect yourself in this. Right? How, how, many, how many lifeguards have dove in the water to save someone only to end up being swept out to save themselves? Be careful when you do this. Be mindful when you do this. Be aware of yourself, of your own weaknesses and struggles and limitations. But also, know yourself. Know that you also are a sinner. Know that only by the grace of God are you not in that very situation. Consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. You, it, it, you could easily be in this situation. It's the grace of God alone. I'm not doing this because I'm better than you. I'm doing this because I care for you, because I love you, because I want to see you restored. So, brothers, if man is overtaken a trespass, what do you do? You restore him. How do you do it? Gently, consider, cons considerately, mindfully.
Also, Lord willing, you will never be in this situation, but if you are, know that your brother who is coming to you is coming to you because he cares for you. Not because he or she is tearing you down, not because they think they're better than themselves, it's because they love you, because they care for you. So go to them with this attitude, but receive them also. Listen, because they care for you, they love you. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens. Verse 1 is very specific. It's focused in on a specific burden. In verse 2, Paul then broadens it out. Care for each other this way. Bear one another's burdens this way. Now just generally, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. That word burden, is, it's, it's a significant weight something that is too heavy for you to carry by yourself, something outside of the normal weight of everyday life. Bear one another's burdens. It's a general statement. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Support, love, encourage, bear one another's burdens. See, verse 1 is very specific. And you might think, well, I can, I can get out of that one. That's, that's rarely ever going to happen. But verse 2 is very broad. You can't get out of this one. Bear one another's burdens. That's your responsibility as well. It's your responsibility to bear one another's burdens. This next phrase is interesting. And so fulfill the law of Christ. There we see that word law again. What is Paul getting at here? What is the law of Christ? Probably what Paul's referring to is what Todd even mentioned this morning. John 13, 34. Love one another as I have loved you. Christ's new commandment that he gives. Love one another as I have loved you. We saw that just a, a few weeks ago. Galatians 5, 13 to 14. Love one another. So how do you do that? How do you, God, Christ has called us to love one another. How do we do that? By bearing one another's burdens. By coming alongside, by loving and caring for each other. Here in verse 3, Paul now shifts his attention. Look after others, but now look after yourself. This might seem like a, a, a strange thing to, to transition to, but I think it makes sense as you work your way through this. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Right, so this process in verses 1 and 2, bearing one another's burdens, approaching your brother who, is, who has fallen into a trespass, seeking to restore him, if you do that thinking that you're better than him, you deceive yourself. You're nothing. This is a call to see yourself rightly through Scripture. Yes, you're an heir of God in Christ. 
but that's in Christ. You yourself are nothing. You yourself are a sinner. Praise God for His grace that has saved you. But it's not because you earned it. It's because He chose to give it. Verse 4, let each one examine his own work. Now that seems completely opposite of verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, let each one examine his own work. What in the world is Paul getting at here? Well, look at the difference between burden and work. Hold on, I'm off here. All right, forget what I just said. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he has nothing, he deceives himself. Verse 4, but let each one examine his own work. Examine. Test your own work. Be harder on yourself than you are on others. Right? Matthew 7, 3 to 5, the log in your own eye compared to the speck in, your, in the other. Take care of the log in your own eye before you take care of the speck in someone else's. Look to yourself. Examine yourself. Consider yourself. And then, he will ha- and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. He will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. What Paul is getting at in verse 3 and 4 here is this idea. Rejoice not in what you have done. Rejoice in what God is doing in you. You see, verse 3 and 4 is the difference between law and grace. Grace rejoices in who God is and what God has done in me. Grace restores a brother and gentleness, considering himself, lest you also be tempted. Whereas law looks to self. Law says, I haven't done that. In fact, I've done this and this and this. I am better. Law rejoices in me by putting someone else down, by comparing. Yet law also rejoices in looking at what I've done when I do restore this brother. Look what I've done. Now look what God has done. Look what I've done. Look at my plan. Look at how good I am. Rejoice in what God is doing in you. Rejoice in God's grace, not in your performance, not in your spirituality. Law rejoices in comparison. Grace rejoices in God's work. Like the Pharisee in Luke 18, 11, Lord, I thank you that I am not like this sinner. That's law. It's comparison. And Paul says here, bear one another burdens in the spirit of grace because of the grace of God, because of what God has done in you. Not because you're better than this person. Verse 5. This is where I got off earlier. For each one shall bear his own load. That sounds different than verse 2. Very similar to verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. Bear your own load. So let's look at the difference between burden and load. 
I mentioned earlier, burden is something significant, a significant weight, something that's too heavy to carry alone, whereas load would be the normal, everyday weight of life. It's the responsibilities, the expectations that God has put on you, that he's given you. For each one shall bear his own load. Others' needs are not a valid excuse for unfaithfulness in my responsibilities. See, God has given you responsibilities and he calls you to keep those responsibilities. And it's not a valid excuse to say, well, I had to help him bear his burden. So I couldn't take care of my responsibilities. No. In fact, you cannot bear someone else's burdens if you're not caring for your own responsibilities. I don't know if you've ever flown in an airplane. I, I, I love flying. I hate airports. They're a hassle. But once you get down, you sit on the plane, the feeling of taking off, the feeling of landing, I just, I love it. I like flying. But if you've ever flown and you've paid attention at the beginning as the, the stewardess is giving her little talk and you've got this little booklet that you have open and she's saying, you know, you, if the oxygen drops, this mask will drop from the top and she pulls the mask down and she, she puts it on and she shows you how to do all that. But she always says this, or he, to be a steward, I guess. They always say this, put on your own mask before you assist someone else. They always say that, every single time. Why do they say that? Because if you don't get your own mask on, you're putting yourself in jeopardy. If you put yourself in jeopardy, you're putting this other in jeopardy who you're trying to help. If you're seeking to help them before you take care of yourself, of your responsibility, then you may not even be able to help them. Now we've lost two. That's what Paul is getting at here. Be faithful in your responsibilities so that you can bear one another's burdens. Do what God has called you to so that you can then love others as well. So you're free to do that. You're able to do that. So look after others. Look out for yourself so that you, you can look after others. And then look to the future. Verses 6 to 10. Let him who is taught the word share in all things with him who teaches. Him who is taught the word, student, share in all things with him who teaches, teacher. There's many different ideas on what this means. Some people think that it could be financial. It could be a, a call for, for the student to, to um, help to to provide for the teacher financially. And that's probably included in this. But I think Paul's, Paul's vision here is bigger than that. What he's getting at is very practically bear one another's burdens. As the teacher bears the burden of teaching the student, so the student bears the burden of financially helping the teacher. You're bearing each other's burdens. I think that's what the picture is here. It's a relationship where you're bearing each other's burdens. It's not just a general, all right, bear each other's burdens, go. He's showing very specifically, very practically what this looks like in this specific relationship. You're bearing each other's burdens. That burden might be financial. That burden might be spiritual. Whatever it is, bear those burdens together. As teacher and student. This gets to the discipleship relationship we've been talking about all year long. 
Go therefore and make disciples. And I think what we see here is that discipleship is a mutually beneficial relationship. Both the disciple and the discipler learn from each other. They both bear one another's burdens. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. God sees the heart. You cannot trick God. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. This is a general principle that we see in Scripture several times. He who sows to his flesh will the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to his spirit will the spirit reap everlasting life. Where are you sowing? Are you sowing in the Spirit? Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you bearing one another's burdens? Are you restoring your brothers? Are you taking care of your responsibilities? You see, God is not mocked. You cannot trick your way into heaven. You might be able to come to church and you might be able to trick all of us. You might be able to put up a front and, and, and to look good here. But God sees into your heart. What's your motive? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? What are you sowing? Are you sowing to yourself? Are you going about this to make yourself look good? So you can have some kind of social capital or whatever it is so you can look good? Or are you doing this in response to what God has done for you? By the grace of God. Are you sowing to your flesh? Or are you sowing to the Spirit? There's two ends here. He who sows to the flesh will reap corruption. He'll reap condemnation. But he who sows to the Spirit will have the Spirit reap everlasting life. Paul is here calling these Galatians to, to consider their ways. He's been calling them back to the truth throughout this entire book, and now he's calling, now look at yourselves. Look at yourselves. Are you walking in the Spirit? Or are you like these Judaizers walking in the flesh? Are you all about yourself? How you look out, outwardly. Verse 9, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. He's picking up on this idea of reap. Right? He who sows the Spirit will have the Spirit reap everlasting life. He's calling them to look to the future, look to the end, look to what you will reap. You're, you're, you're serving now, you're bearing one another's burdens now, you're being uh, responsible now. And you will reap. Verse 9, but don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary. Be faithful to, to bear one of those burdens day in and day out and how easy it is to grow weary of doing good. It's very easy. How many of us in, in just this week will start the new year and we'll sit out, and, and you may sit down and write down some resolutions. This year, I'm going to, I'm going to read more. I'm going to, I'm going to eat better. I'm going to drink more water. I'm going to read my Bible every day. Those are good things. And yet, how quickly till you grow weary of doing them? I 
Don't grow weary. Be responsible. Be strengthened. For in due season you will reap. There's coming a time when you will reap. God sees. God will reward. So don't grow weary. Look to that. Know that He's coming again. Know that there is a reward. And be faithful. For in due season you will reap if you do not lose heart. Be faithful in what God has called you to. Be faithful in your responsibilities. Be faithful to bear one another's burdens. Be faithful to to restore your brothers. Don't lose heart. Therefore, therefore, as we have opportunity, not if you have opportunity, but as you have opportunity, the idea here is that you, you do have opportunity. You're alive, you're breathing, you're here. You have opportunity. So because you have opportunity, do good. Let us do good to all, especially, not exclusively, do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith, especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Do good, especially to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't lose heart. In conclusion, we come to the end of this passage. Paul is calling the Galatians to do good. Do good. You could even say, like my great-great-grandfather used to say, do good till the stars fall. Do good till the end. Do good regardless. Just do good. Be faithful in doing good. This is an, it's an easy passage to apply. In fact, you probably don't need me to do it. You probably already have things in your mind right now. See, this is your responsibility. It's you who are spiritually restored. You bear one of those burdens. You bear your own load. You don't grow weary in doing well. You do good to all. This is your responsibility. This is my responsibility. This is all of our responsibility. So the question this morning is, are you doing good? Not to please God, not to earn favor with God, but because of what God has done for you. Because God has equipped you. Because he's given you his spirit. And because he calls you to do it, are you doing good? Are you bearing one another's burdens? Maybe even this morning you can think of a specific burden. Something that's maybe been on your mind that you've kind of pushed aside. Someone in this body who you know has a burden. You know they're they're carrying something that is, is heavy, a weight on them. Maybe it's an older person. Maybe it's a a young couple who's just had another baby. Maybe it's a physical struggle. Maybe it's a family thing. Whatever it is, if you know that burden, it's your responsibility to help them. 
But you can't help them if you're not being faithful in your engagements. And maybe that's where the application for you is this morning. Maybe you need to be more faithful in your engagements and what God has called you to. How can you bear someone else's burdens if you can't even take care of your own responsibilities? Are you taking care of your own responsibilities? Are you faithful in what God has called you to? Maybe this morning, as we've looked at this passage, you've realized that you've been sowing to the flesh. You've been putting your time, your energy, your hopes in the wrong thing. You've been sowing to the flesh and not to the Spirit. Maybe that's what you need to take care of this morning. Whatever it is, look to the future, for in due season you will reap. The question is, what will you reap? You will reap. You'll either reap corruption or everlasting life. Let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. We're going to close by singing the song, Servant's Heart. Give me, Lord, a servant's heart.